You're listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. Yes, indeed you are. You're listening to the MEU podcast, the mighty MEU podcast. I'm Tim Brunero. Good to be with you. Well, you might remember um, in May we had a yak to the National Legal Director of the MEU, Adam Walkerton, about the Albanese government's laws that were going through the parliament. Uh, He's passed two chunks of laws, and there's another one coming through um, that we're waiting on. Um, Can you give us a bit of an overview of what's in that third chunk of laws? Because it's very important to mine workers, isn't it? It is, Tim. There's a fair bit in the bill. Um, Obviously, there's some really critical provisions for mining and energy workers, the main one being same job, same pay. And as you'd know, this has been something that our members have been campaigning for for a very long period of time. So same job, same pay, um, which is part six of the bill, to close the labour hire loophole is a key feature of the bill. There are other really important parts of the bill for mining energy workers. Um, There's provision in respect of casual employment, which closes the permanent casual rort, which you'd be well familiar with, Tim, as well as strong provisions and protections for employee delegates, as well as other rights um, that don't directly apply to mining energy workers, but are well overdue reforms to the gig economy to provide some fairness and decency for workers in that in that industry, in, in delivering our food um, on a push bike um, and, and things of that nature. There's other there's other parts of the of the bill too. Um, a proper definition of employ, of who an employee is. So for example, you can't be an Irish backpacker um, on an ABN and um, for the employer to simply call you an independent contractor and deny you the benefits of permanent employment. So it's really important and practical provisions in the bill which will make a difference, um, not just to mine and energy workers, but to workers right across Australia. I get what you're saying, that there's a whole lot of things in this bill, including some of that gig economy stuff, which is really important. But in terms of your day-to-day work, working with mining and energy workers and trying to make sure as much of the membership as possible gets the benefits of um, the booming coal industry, this labour hire loophole, this rort that they've been running for quite some time now where they hire people through labour hire companies and pay them less than the people who have got the um, the permanent shirt with the company. Um, that's your big thing and your big focus uh, with this bill. Um, I know that you were giving evidence before the Senate committee that's examining the bill um, and you're in Perth last Friday talking to them and giving them the um, the good oil on, on how this will all work and how it'll benefit you know, big chunks of Australia, central Queensland, the Hunter, the Illawarra, you know, down into Latrobe, maybe over in Collie, making sure that at least another billion dollars a year or so goes to the people who actually do the work, the working families who are actually extracting the coal or making the power. Um, I just want to explain to people what that committee process looks like, who's on the committee. There's some Labor people, there's some Liberal people. Help me out here. There's Tony Sheldon, who people will know because he's a tireless campaigner for working families. But there's also David Pocock from the ACT, who's a sort of uh, independent. And you've got our mate from Tasmania, uh, Jackie Lambie. Um, and you've also got... Um, are there any other independents on it? Uh, look, not, not to my knowledge. Um, obviously, um, the bill is before the Senate, and the government doesn't have a majority in the Senate. So the way our system works, Tim, and I'm sorry to explain the obvious to you, is that it is a numbers game, and the Albanese government needs the support of the Greens, most likely, and the crossbench to pass the bill. And that's why the votes of David Pocock, Senator David Pocock, 
and Senator Lambie and Senator Tammy Tyrrell from Tasmania are really important. If the government um, can't secure um, support from either the Greens um, and or um, Senator Pocock and Senator Lambie and Senator Tyrrell, the um, other alternatives would be the LNP government, who have demonstrated time after time that they're opposed um, to improving, um, giving any improvement um, to, to workers in this country, as well as One Nation, who have also demonstrated, Tim, that they might talk talk tough mm. um, upon providing rights um, to, um, to mine workers. But um, when push comes to shove, um, One Nation never backs in um, workers in regional communities and always sides against any sensible proposition to improve the wages, conditions or safety of our members. Yes, the, the, the Liberal and National Parties and, and, and One Nation as well, their record is clear on this. That They oppose closing the loopholes. Um, and I suppose that's why this Senate process is so important because you need to convince Senator Pocock and Senator Lambie and Senator Tyrrell that these are a good chunk of laws and we need to get them passed and do it quick. Um, and I think that that process is going to mean that we probably won't see any action in the Senate or put before the Senate until next year, so 2024, early in 2024. Um, I know you gave evidence last Friday to the committee, um, and I wanted to get your commentary or your comments on some of the other evidence that's been heard, because we've heard from Tanya Constable, who's uh, with the Minerals Council, uh, and she's made some claims before the Senate. I just wanted you to sort of debunk them, if that's all right. We've got a grab here from... Um, uh, Tanya Constable. She's talking here about um, mine workers and the same job, same pay um, loophole. So, Ms Constable, so we've got a 14.6% increase in profitability, a 2.3% per annum increase in wages. You've given an explanation about you know, things boom and bust, and I'm just trying to work out when is the right time for labour hire workers to get their fair share of the massive profits? Things are going so well. When's their, when's their fair share? I think that, uh, that what we've seen is, um, is uh, wages that have been provided to, you know, we have different wages across the economy, different circumstances applying in our industry, depending on the commodity, depending on the location, you will have different, uh, different wages being applied right across Australia, whether it's Western Australia, South Australia, uh, in the Hunter Valley, in the Bowen Basin, in, uh, in Queensland. It differs depending on the circumstances. What we do see is that employers in the good times, they make, uh, they make new investments. I'm talking specifically about labour hire here. So when do labour hire workers share the benefits of the massive profits? Sorry, I was just conferring with my um, with my colleague. I have uh, said that t today um, publicly that the median uh, the median wages for uh, our mining employees paid by labour hire firm are actually higher than uh, what we have in our permanent. Um, uh, with our permanent workforce, labour hire firms are paid approximately $300 more or 
higher than the median weekly earnings of direct mining employees. Labor hire $2,618.40, direct workers $2,301 a week. So uh, I would say that labor hire workers uh, in the main relating to the mining industry um, are receiving their fair share um, uh, of those uh, of those arrangements. So well, there you go, Adam. That should make you feel a bit more comfortable. She's telling you that actually labour hire people get paid more. Yeah, well, that's not our experience, Tim. Um, so, I mean, if you went to any of our members in central Queensland, the Hunter Valley, the Illawarra, anywhere else, um, the evidence that was that was just heard there by, um, by a big lobbyist um, for the big, extremely profitable mining companies doesn't stack up. Um, labour hire workers in those, in those coal mining towns um, are not paid more. Than the permanent employees, um, labour hire workers are paid thirty to forty thousand dollars a year less, and thirty thousand dollars, thirty to forty thousand dollars a year less, Tim, for operating the same piece of machinery in the same crew on the same roster at the same mine, exposed to the same risk and working to the same policies and procedures. So, um, I'm not too sure where the um, where the mathematics came. Um, from that question, but it certainly doesn't accord with the experience of our members. So when labour hire workers, miners in the Bowen Basin, in Queensland, in the Hunter, all over Australia hear that, and they know it's not true, how would they react to that? Oh, I think the response would vary, Tim. Um, But certainly um, my response would be that that does not reflect the reality of of, of the situation. The fact of the matter is... BHP, Glencore, Yankol, the big miners, they do not employ labour hire to pay labour hire more um, than their own employees. That is not the reason for labour hire to be engaged. So um, the evidence that was was just produ- was just played back to me um, certainly does not accord with the experience of, of our members. It's not true. We might not go as far as saying it's lies, but it's not true. It's not true. Uh, it's definitely not true. And, you know, we've heard from... Um, workers on this podcast, we've heard from Tony Burke on this podcast, we've heard from a whole lot of people who will say directly to you what was just said then, that evidence that was just given to the Senate committee is not true. Um, And the people who know that they're getting paid less must hear that and be absolutely livid. I would be. Um, We know from that McKell um, Institute report from, I think, about 18 months ago, that the difference between um, what uh, labour hire workers are getting and what um, permanent employees are getting directly um, employed by the company is about a billion dollars a year. So that's a billion dollars that's not going into the grocer in Mackay or the sports shop in Singleton. Um, so, yeah, it's it's incredible that those sort of barefaced untruths <laughs> um, would be um, you know thrown about like that. Um, I want to. Can I just jump in there, Tim? But th- that's the entire point. Um, opponents of the bill um, are opposing the bill but aren't opposing it on its merits. They're opposing it on the basis of a number of claims which don't stack up. And that's one you've just pointed to, the claim that, well, there isn't a problem to see here because labour hire workers are paid more than the permanents. That's not true. But as I say, um, opponents of the bill are trying to create confusion, they're trying to scare people, and they're trying to um, defeat um, the passage of the bill. So um, it is obviously, um, in my view, unsurprising that you would find um, the same voices who oppose any sensible measure, whether it's put by government or put by the unions, to improve pay, conditions or safety. The answer from those same voices 
who are making these same outlandish claims is always the same. No. Hmm. So I don't find it surprising um, that a whole bunch of um, untruthful um, untruthful characterizations about what the bill does or the effects of the bill um, or the need for the bill are being made by those same voices who, as I say, every time even a modest um, proposal is put um, by government or by the unions to improve wages, conditions or safety, it doesn't surprise me um, that the same voices who say no to any such proposal are making such claims um, with respect to the bill. Because they want that billion dollars. Correct. If, if, this, if this law passes, it'll mean that all those labour hire people who are working alongside um, uh, people with permanent jobs on mine sites all over Australia will get the same amount of money. It's a billion dollars. You know, you probably would fudge the facts and tell a few fibs if you thought that it would save a billion dollars. We're talking about big bickies here, but that that's a billion dollars that could be going into the pockets of mine workers who could then in turn be spending it on their kids or in Australia or, you know, rather than it being divvied up in boardrooms in London or New York or Singapore where these companies are based. But it's not, if I just jump in, Tim, it's not just about money. So obviously the, the, the legal effect of the closing labour hire loophole is to provide the, the legal the legal effect is to require the labour hire employer to pay the prop but to pay the, the labour hire worker the protected rate of pay in other words as you've said the same rate that the permanent employee under the site EA will get but it's not just about pay because what these what this bill in particular the closing labour hire loophole provision as well as the casual um, reforms that can include in the bill it will give um, mining energy workers, as well as workers right across the economy, greater job security. And um, there is a lot of social good that flow from both um, workers being able to get a fair share, to get a fair pay rise, and also to have good job security. And one of the most important things um, in an incredibly um, dangerous, inherently hazardous environment, such as the mining industry, is being able to speak up about safety. And you'd probably remember, Tim, um, the, the Grosvenor um, underground Where the five explosion. fellows were horrifically burned. Yes. Yeah. Now, that mine um, was, was basically totally outsourced to labour hire providers such as OneKey. And um, that was um, a terrible incident that occurred. There was a board of inquiry that was conducted into that, into that um, incident, and that found a link between labour hire and safety. And the link is obvious if you go to any of our members. Um, Labour hire workers, because they have less job security, feel they can't speak up about safety. And if workers don't speak up about safety, it means hazards aren't identified and then hazards can't be corrected. So it's not just about, it's not just about pay. Um, a lot of things um, flow from this bill, not just pay. Uh, and yes, people are in precarious employment or they're casual. And I mean, it, it doesn't take... A brainiac to work out if you work at a shopping centre or 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 a, or a uh, Woolworths, let's say, and you're a casual as opposed to permanent, and the manager makes an inappropriate comment about your dress or what you're wearing or whatever, that you're not going to raise it if you're casual and say, "Hey, please don't speak to me like that," because if that person can then not roster you, or you just stop getting rostered, or give you the dud shifts, you're not going to say anything. So your power is inherently, you know, as a worker. I mean, that's. A good example, but it's not as um, p- potentially deadly as at a mine site where you might not raise a safety issue because you're concerned that your employer will then 
stop rostering you or give you dud shifts or whatever. All right, let's hear a bit more evidence. Um, this one is from the uh, Chamber of Commerce and Industry, the West Australian branch. They've been running around like Chicken Little saying that the you know sky's going to fall in if, um, the, if these laws come through. Um, I just wouldn't mind getting your reaction to, to that. Because look at, let's look at your submission and the data, and it is detached from reality. Um, particularly if you look at the closing, the labour loopholes. According to your submission, three of the four industries most concerned about this are accommodation and food services, real estate services, and agriculture. <clears throat> Across the whole state of of West Australia, there are seven current enterprise agreements in the agriculture sector. 13 in accommodation and food services, and just four in the real estate sector. So in an industry with just four enterprise agreements statewide, is it likely to see 80% of businesses impacted? I mean, it's just not correct. You've bodged the figures to try and put headline, you know, this is really, really bad, when in fact, hardly four real estate agents might be affected if they have labour hire. I mean, really? I'd be pleased to answer that question, Senator. Um, 46% of the Western Australian economy on a gross value-added basis is comprised of the mining and resources sector. If mining plays a critical role and it flows through the economy and our members understand that. Sure, but, but do your members also understand that there are hardly any enterprise agreements in the mining industry as well? And, um, and that claims that the Pilbara is going to fall over there are a range of provisions in this act which impact the mining sector, and our members understand that what hurts mining I'm hurts the labour hire WA economy. Specifically, in your submission, you talk about labour hire, and you say the world is going to fall over because of that, and that's just not true, is it, in Western Australia? There are a range of provisions that will deeply impact the sector, mining in particular, and that certainly flows through the WA economy. Yes, but mining has hardly got hardly any enterprise agreements either. Sorry. Um, just to, to point out as well, um, Senator, that the first tranche that dealt with enterprise agreement making is intended to rejuvenate and drive more and more enterprise agreements and increase enterprise agreement bargaining. And therefore, we will see an increase in enterprise agreement as a result of that, which means those industries that are not covered at the moment will, will see much deeper coverage of that under the first tranche of legislation. So, so what, what you're putting to us is that, is that there is no problem now there's a suspicion that there may be a problem for you in the future that workers might decide to vote for a collective bargaining agreement. That's right. So you're worried about workers turning around and making a decision that they want a collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, so how do you react to that? Well, I think the question from Senator White, the Labor Senator from Victoria, really hits the nail on the head because a critical thing to understanding part six of the bill, closing the labour hire loophole, is that the provision doesn't apply automatically. It applies by way of a party such as the union making an application to the Fair Work Commission. The Fair Work Commission is required to consider the material that's put before it and make a decision about whether to issue the order or not. And if the order is issued, the order will then um, trigger a, a, an obligation imposed upon the labour hire employer to pay the protected rate of pay. So it's a pretty simple, straightforward, um, straightforward uh, system. Or proposition, but the point, Tim, though, is is that the order cannot be made unless the host employer has an enterprise agreement. And Senator White, the Labor senator from Victoria, really took that um, 
that industry lobbyists to task on that issue because it is a fact that enterprise bargaining, for example, is virtually non-existent in the Pilbara. Um, and that's because of really aggressive de-unionisation strategies that the big miners um, played played out in the Pilbara in the, in the 80s and the 90s. And they wiped out collective bargaining, um, which was aided and abetted by the um, WA um, and the federal um, Tory governments, who were heavily pushing individual contracts um, in the Pilbara. And the result is, is that enterprise bargaining in the Pilbara is very much the exception and not the norm. And so what that means is that if the order can only be made if the host has an enterprise agreement, guess what, Tim? If the host doesn't have an enterprise agreement, the order can't be made. Hmm. And so that is why, for example, um, the claims we've just heard are completely ludicrous. That is why the claims we've heard that somehow this bill will devastate the Pilbara, mm. which is a claim that has been repeated time after time by lobbyists for these extremely profitable mining companies, just is not true. We know in the Pilbara you've got BHP, you've got Rio Tinto, you've got Andrew um, Twiggy Forrest yes. and Gina Reinhart. And as you say, they've been uh, very um, canny at making sure that unions you know, haven't got that foothold. What we know, they're, they're saying, look over here, look over here at the Pilbara, but really they know that they don't want us to look over here, which is all the black coal mining um, workers and miners and energy workers in um, in the Bowen Basin, Central Queensland, Hunter and Illawarra and so on, um, and they know that there is a two-tiered workforce. Some places, 40 or 50% of the people are labour hire people and they're getting paid less. They've got the same shirt, they do the same job. I mean, as Tony Burke said to us on this podcast, what's the point of going through all the pain of negotiating an EBA? And they can be painful, and there can be strike action, there can be lockouts, there can be... And you come around the table, and eventually you come to a deal. What's the point of going through all that and having the you know the Fair Work Commission stamp it and say, right, let's go, if you're then just going to take your bat and ball and go home and every single person that you hire from then on, you're just going to use a diff- different agreement? I mean, what's the point of having a, the, the industrial system? It is a total bastardization of the process that we're meant to have. Um, look, let's go to another industry because I just want people to get a sense that it's not just mining. Tony Burke will tell you it kind of started in mining and big employers who've got deep pockets, lots of lawyers, lots of HR people have realised just how much money they can save. We're talking about a billion dollars a year here. It sort of started there, as he told us, but it's spread to other industries like a cancer. And um, Alan Joyce, who was a very aggressive um anti-worker, anti-working family um, CEO at Qantas. I'm very glad to see that he's gone now. Um, He uh, did some terrible things to the workforce there. And you've got flight attendants who are in a similar situation to a lot of mine workers. I thought you might react to some of the evidence that the Senate heard when it comes to flight attendants and maybe tell us how that might relate to mine workers. So, for instance, Sarah will sit here. Sarah sits on the uh, with us today. Sarah didn't even know that she didn't work for Qantas, the main company, until four months after she started flying. She wore the uniform, and she did not know until someone told her that she actually worked for a labour hire company, that it wasn't Qantas, that she was not entitled to all of the benefits that Qantas employees were entitled to. Right. And what sort of impact is that having on on the crew, like on, on the workers themselves? Yeah, hi, good morning. Um, it's quite disheartening, quite confusing, 
um, a little bit demoralizing and knowing that you're there on the cart doing the same thing you're there doing you know when the fire um, alarm went off in the in the bathroom you were there bringing the emergency equipment and so were they um, you were cleaning up the um, the vomit on the floor alongside somebody else um, you were doing a 19-hour duty and keeping your eyes open and keeping each other awake at the same you know, the same as everyone else, wearing the exact same uniform, recognised in public, um, walking through the airport. And then just to accidentally find out, that was um, a little bit blindsided, I think, and being very proud to work for Qantas, but not being recognised by some of our code share airlines as being employed by Qantas, because I'm not, but on my payslip, there's a kangaroo and it says Qantas on my payslip. And, it, it was a bit, um, you can imagine what it would do for, for unity and um, morale in the workplace, right, to yeah. say that much. It was. Our, our conditions currently are a maximum of 20 hours. Well, they're going to extend that and they're going to have to sit down and negotiate with us. Now, obviously, the, the biggest thing we're concerned about is fatigue. So we're going into a negotiation about what's reasonable, how do we do this? And, and for us, a lot of it will depend on rest where the rest falls, the rest before you go to work, during the flight, and then when you get into the slip port and vice versa. We have to go into this knowing that if we say these are unreasonable conditions, they will just start a new work group. And like Sarah, maybe they won't actually know what they're getting themselves into when they sign that application form, because they're so excited to work for Qantas, even though they won't be. So. That's why this legislation is so critical to us. How can we not have, if there's an enterprise agreement and there are rules and conditions that have been negotiated under the terms of the negotiation, how can we then have them just start another company with lesser conditions? I don't understand. There's a, there is a place for casual work. I'm available to do four hours a day on a Monday and a Wednesday or a Saturday or whatever it is in hospitality or in retail, perfect. The airline industry, our casuals, if I had my 22-year-old and she wanted to work casual for Qantas, there is absolutely no way she could continue to study because it's not true casual work. They are sitting there available 12 hours a day on home reserve spans, so you can't go off and get another job. They get paid three hours work for those 12 hours. Ms Attil, will same job, same pay stop this outrageous rort? from Qantas? Yes, it, it will. We see it will. I mean, there has been comments said that, well, they'll just go offshore and get everyone. Well, they can't do that domestically because they'd need visas. If they were to do it internationally, I don't know how they could continue to use the uh, logo of the Spirit of Australia if they were to replace all of Australian cabin crew internationally with overseas bases. I don't think that that would be a, a model that they could sustain. How do you react to that in a different industry from what you're used to looking at? Well, I think the issue that the, the flight attendants union was, was discussing in that Senate inquiry, it really is the same issue that our members are confronting. And obviously what that is all about is there being established enterprise bargaining, which provides good pay, good conditions and safety, which is being undermined by... Um, by effectively, in the Qantas example, same as what's happening in BHP, internal labour hire, where um, Qantas, just as BHP have done, 
except their own internal labour hire companies that don't contract with their competitors. So Operational Services Tim doesn't contract with Glencore and provide services to Glencore or to Yankol. It only provides um, labour to other BHP mines. And from the evidence the Flight Attendance Union gave, that is the same at Qantas. Those other companies um, that um, have been set up by Alan Joyce over a period of time um, only contract with Qantas. Um, you don't see those internal Qantas labour hire companies um, providing flight attendance on a Virgin flight, for example. So it's all about undermining conditions and pay that have been negotiated for a very long period of time. And as we've discussed, it has that effect of eroding job security, but eroding the bargaining power, Tim, of all employees. And that's why we have seen um, stagnant real wage growth over a prolonged period of time. Because it is these big companies. We're not talking here, Tim, about, about the corner, a corner shop. We're talking about some of the biggest and most powerful companies in Australia, BHP, Qantas and others, who have used the labour hire loophole to undermine job security, undermine paying conditions. So the other point I'd make about, about the labour hire loopholes um, provision is that it is targeted. Um, as I said a, a moment ago, the order can only be made which is attaches an obligation upon the labour hire company where the host has an enterprise agreement. And only about 30%, Tim, of the Australian workforce is covered by an enterprise agreement. But what you'll find is that the employers who are covered by an enterprise agreement are within the system. They know, generally know how the system works. Big aviation companies like Qantas, big mining companies like BHP, know how the system works and what they've um, done to um, reduce wages, reduce conditions, reduce job security is what BHP have done through operational services which has set up its own internal labour hire company that only contracts with BHP and that is exactly what Qantas have done as I understand um, with, respect of, with respect to their flight attendants. What Qantas did with respect to the baggage handlers is a completely different story, which has obviously been found to be un to be unlawful um, by the High Court, where they basically sacked um, all of their baggage handlers, Tim, for the sole purpose, or for the purpose, I should say, of avoiding negotiating with mm. the union. They they were looking to do some industrial action. They were having a discussion with Qantas, the union, and the baggage handlers, and Qantas said, "Okay, well, we'll just sack you all, and we'll rehire you." through a labour hire company. And um, the dismal part of that was that that was found to be illegal but impractical to rehire the people through Qantas. Mm. And they're now going after them for huge fines. We're talking a $200 million fine. But the great tragedy is that even if they make them pay that, they're saving so much money a year through this illegal manoeuvre, they'll still be ahead. Mm. So they'll, in effect, be rewarded for these, the bastardry of sacking all their people then rehiring them through a different company, a different entity, where they're getting paid less. And then, and they know that they can just thumb their nose at the law, and even if they're fined, they're, out, they're coming out ahead. What breaks my heart is that young man or woman, 21, 22, proudly comes home to their parents, 
I just got a job with the big Australian. Check it out, mum and dad. Check out the BHP high-vis. Look at my uniform. Look at this and that. Here's the contract. Mum has a look at it. Oh, son, I'm just looking at this. You're not actually employed by BHP at all. You're, you're employed by this mob operation services. Oh, I know. I didn't. I had no idea. Like the, the, the flight attendant who didn't realise they weren't actually working for Qantas. They were working through this fake shelf company, this this in, this instrument, this rort that allows them to pay people less. Um, and that's what makes me so sad. You can tell they're not a real labour hire company, as you say, because they only they only work for BHP. If they were, if Operation Services was a true labour hire provider, it'd be out trying to get contracts with all kinds of miners and related businesses, you know. Um, so look, it's very sad, um, and I do hope that that um, Senator Pocock, Senator Lambie, and some of those crossbenchers get involved and see what a rort this is. Uh, what is the next step? Can you just walk us through what happens next? Well, the Senate committee um, process is still conducting some hearings. Um, I think there's two hearings to go, and then obviously um, the um, the bill will be required um, to be considered by the Senate. So, as as you said at the outset, it is a numbers game. Um, the government's put forward the bill. Um, in my view, it's a good bill. Um, it strikes the right balance, and it will assist our members in addressing the issues that we've been speaking about for a long time, um, that our members are entitled to receive fair pay, fair conditions and job security. So the bill will do that, um, but it is um, it is a parliamentary process whereby um, it is a matter for the Senate to consider the bill and the government doesn't have a majority in the Senate. So as we said at the outset, it will require support of minor parties or the crossbench to secure its passage. What upsets me most is the scare campaign that these big employers run, and they always hide behind smaller, medium-sized businesses. They always pretend that these things are going to have um, dire consequences for smaller, medium-sized businesses when they know that those businesses won't be affected, that they know that those businesses don't have the kind of muscle and legal teams and HR teams to come up with these fake shelf companies in these instruments these made-up, you know, devices to, to dud workers and to save a dollar. Because you remember, every time they don't pay proper pay to someone, they trouser that money. I mean, that just goes into those boardrooms in New York and London and Singapore where it gets divvied up and, and sent around, you know, around the world. Um, would you say to people, send an email to David Pocock or, or Jackie Lambie, you know, saying, you know, it doesn't have to be long, but just, look, I'm a mime worker. This is the reality where I live in you know, in Emerald or in, you know, Musselbrook? What I, before I say that, I just want to make a quick point about the small business point because I totally agree with that, that what you will find is that the BHPs, the Qantas, the others, who have who have um, engineered um, the practices that the bill is trying to deal with, the loopholes that the bill is trying to close, they do hide behind small business. But what really gets on my gears, Tim, is that the bill contains a number of carve-outs for small business. So it's a bit rich for some of the biggest and most profitable um, companies in this country to not debate the facts, not debate the merits of the bill, but put up the Trojan horse of small business in circumstances where the bill contains a number of carve-outs for small business. In other words, the provisions that these big companies are arguing against won't even apply to small business. So that really gets on... On, that really grates my gears. Um, but in terms of your question about what our members should do, of course our members should be getting in touch um, with their elected representatives 
And so wherever that is, the senator, so for example, um, a lot of our members work in Queensland. Well, Malcolm Roberts, Senator Malcolm Roberts, is a senator from Queensland. Senator Roberts um, has put his own bill up, the Equal Pay Bill, Equal Pay for Equal Work Bill. Um, Senator Roberts loves to um, pretend that he stands with our, with our members. Um, now is an opportunity for Senator Roberts um, to express his support for same job, same pay by voting for the bill. Um, there, are, there, are other, um, there are other senators um, in the same boat who have said that they support um, these measures. Um, now is the chance for those senators um, to demonstrate the support by um, committing to support the bill. They consistently say they support mining in the coal mining industry, but when you look at the way they vote and what they actually do, they actually support the big companies, not the, the people who actually mine the coal MEU members. Well, National Legal Director of the MEU, Adam Walkerden, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast once again. Cheers, Tim.